I almost hit leave meeting, Randall. Yes, Ronan. Are we ready? I'm ready. Are we ready? Are we ready, Jerry? We're ready. We're ready. All right, folks. It is number 41, episode 41 here of Behind the Yellow Line. We got Jeremy and Randall. I'm Ronan. We got a whole lot to talk about in terms of Major League Baseball here today. Some front office news for the Chicago Cubs. The new GM officially introduced on Monday in old name changing roles in the front office. We'll get into that. The postseason marches on. We'll talk NLCS. We'll talk ALCS. We'll make some picks here on who we think is going to the World Series. I got a rant pertaining to the postseason. Looking forward to that. We got some Cubs trivia for the first time since I want to say maybe May or so. April or May, I felt like, was about the last time we did that. So we're looking forward to getting some Cubs trivia in here. Randall's got a box score from back in the day that we're going to talk about. Some minor league baseball news. And then as we've done the last couple of weeks, a little bit of Bears talk. And you know what? A little bit of Chicago Bulls talk. They win tonight. Randall's got an awesome stat about the Bulls that you're going to want to hear. So stick around. We'll get to that at the very, very end of this show. But gentlemen, I'm feeling good about the show this evening. I'm excited to talk Chicago Cubs baseball with you both. And Randall had my pre-show walk with the dog, noticed a full moon over the city of Denver. This is our first full moon recording of Behind the Yellow Line. Timely, Randall, here in late October. Uh, well, Rona, it's a full moon, so we better keep you away from it. We all know what you turn into at the full moon. I won't, I won't broadcast it to the audience. Ronan, I know you're a weather guy. We a had a, a real brief, a real brief and real harmless storm come through here uh, a little bit earlier. And there was a brief point where out my window, I could see lightning in one direction and a full moon in the other direction. It was quite a tableau. That is awesome. That is what we need. We need some moisture here in Denver. The mountains have been hit with snow. So it's very, very cool from Denver looking west. We got the snow cap peaks and all that. But dry as a bone here in Denver. Warm, sunny. Can't really complain about that. But I want some moisture, Randall. Hopefully that comes here into Denver. But some good news. Let's talk some Chicago Cubs here. An exciting week for the front office. We talked a little bit last week. The rumors were circulating that Carter Hawkins was on board as the new GM. He was officially introduced Monday afternoon as the 16th general manager in Chicago Cubs history. It fills a vacancy that's been empty for nearly a full calendar year. From when Theo left the organization, Jed was promoted to the director of baseball operations. Cubs haven't had a GM. Now, as we talked about Jeremy last week, the GM, it's not exactly the position that it was 10, 15 years ago. At the end of the day, what we thought the GM was 20 years ago is still what Jed does. He's responsible for constructing the major league roster and the minor league positions and players and all that. But what did you take from Carter Hawkins' press conference on Monday? Was there anything at all that he said or Jed said that had you optimistic about this hire or at least encouraged by what he had to say? It was a, it was a pretty short oh, press conference. <laughs> Just popping in there, Randall. Sorry. It, no, was go a, for it. it was a pretty short press conference. I was able to watch it live. And, you know, he didn't say a whole lot. He um, he said the word processes a lot. And apparently his wife uh, told him before he left the hotel that morning, don't say processes quite so often. But, you know, a, a short press conference. And it's, it's not like a player where you can really kind of get a sense of the guy when he's sitting there on the podium. Uh, you know, his work is going to be very in-depth. He comes from a, a big player development background. And we know he's going to dive in there. This 30-minute kind of interview with him, it, it didn't give us a whole lot, and that's fine. His work is going to be done, uh, you know, behind the scenes and it, away from the cameras. I thought there were some uh, interesting things there in the press conference. But before we, we, we go into that, I do want to say that, you know, I didn't get the chance to introduce. But, like, I'm, I'm hoping for an upbeat and energetic 
podcast. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. Randall's obviously raring to go. Look at that. Just popping in and stealing the question right from out from under me. So that's great. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm excited to have that. But with Carter Hawkins, um, you know, he's obviously a smart guy. He seemed like a smart guy from what uh, just listening to him. Um, he seemed, you know, to know, I, you know, he obviously can't go into any specifics. He's, he just was brought into, uh, from another organization. He doesn't, he has to get a feel for the organization that, uh, that he, he doesn't have. I mean, he was in Cleveland. He saw from the outside, but he can't come in here and just start talking about players and prospects that he doesn't really have an in-depth opinion on, but he seemed to have a good idea, a good grasp. I, I could, you could tell that he, I believe his major was like, um, he majored in human and organizational development or something at Vanderbilt. And you could tell kind of, he had that kind of background. He seemed very organized. He seemed to understand and, and very determined and focused and, and how to de- uh, develop a plan to move forward with certain things and to know where he's going to know where you're starting from and all the steps in between, I believe he mentioned. So you could, you could totally tell he had that background and I, I, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how he comes in and, and what autonomy he really has. Cause as you mentioned, Jed, obviously he's going to have all the final decisions, but I do think he's going to be a guy who's probably the point on a lot of things and is probably in charge of a lot of things. And then anything major, anything, you know, is obviously going to have Jed's input on it, but I, I think he's going to take a more uh, starring role than we expect. Yeah. Jeremy, that stood out to me too. Uh, when they, they put up his educational background and his degree in, uh, human development, human resource development. And that's interesting because we know that Theo, um, I remember Theo took uh, law classes in college when he was when, when he was studying. So uh, Carter Hawkins comes from a little different educational background than some of the guys who have been running the Cubs front office for the last five, six years. Uh, and that's that's different. So I'm, I'm interested to see how that factors into his experience developing that Cleveland pitching infrastructure and how that applies now that he's in position to to help run the Cubs. He said, yeah, he said there's, you know, no secret sauce to developing pitching when he was asked about that. They were just able to provide yeah. a lot of information in an easy, uh, digestible way to pitchers. And he also talked about a lot on how everybody in the front office has to be on the same page, right? You all have to be moving in the same direction, going to the same place. You can't all be having a bunch of people going off in different directions. That's how you get things done. So while he didn't really say anything specifically or anything you really want to hear, you know, I I do think the way he just kind of talked about things, you could just tell he's an intelligent person that he has an understanding of what he needs to do and where he's going. And so I I had a kind of a positive um, take on him and, you know, just hearing Jed, talk about him I, I didn't I don't think Jed is going to pick somebody that yeah you know he doesn't feel comfortable with and but I also think Jed's going to pick somebody that kind of challenges him or gives you know different different views so I'm interested to see how he comes in and really uh evaluates the Cubs organization and there's an opportunity there for a fresh voice we talked about this a little bit last week just to challenge some of the internal thoughts the Cubs and their scouts and player development has because you're bringing in somebody from an organization that's well-respected. And to your point, Jeremy, he came off as witty, very intelligent, well-spoken, just very impressive. Like it was pretty easy to see. And it was a relatively short press conference. He gave an opening statement for about seven minutes. There was about 10 minutes of question and answer with the media. This wasn't a 60 or 90 minute affair where he was going very in depth. He was very reserved in what he had to say about the Cubs organization, but he shared a couple of stories that I thought were very, very cool and sort of endearing. Um, He made light of the fact that uh, I believe his daughter is named Ivy, 
So a perfect opportunity. If you're going to name your daughter Ivy, yeah, it may as well work for the Cubs. I think that worked out well. But he shared a really neat story. So he was with the Cleveland Indians organization during the World Series. And he shared the story of being on the team bus, leaving Wrigley Field, going to O'Hare, following Game 5. And that was a pivotal win for the Cubs. And he talked about kind of how pissed off or frustrated he was that his team lost. They had a chance to clinch and win the World Series that night. But he also talked about sort of the awe that he felt inching through Wrigleyville and Lakeview, seeing just tens of thousands of people in the street singing Go Cubs Go. He was sort of taken aback by it, like, wow, this is a little bit different. So I think that that's interesting. And it was cool to hear him share a perspective from the Cleveland Indians. It's a lot cooler to hear it, given that the Cubs won the series. But it was neat to sort of hear that perspective. And uh, one other point, I guess, to that that I wanted to make as well is that Jordan Bastion, there was a sort of an endearing moment. Jordan came to MLB.com and the Cubs beat from Cleveland. So he knew Carter from their time there. They had a real pleasant exchange. It was nice to see a front office executive and someone in the media sphere having a pleasant exchange at the beginning of what will now be a professional but maybe difficult relationship at times as Jordan covers the team and Carter tries to build a winner. It was just a nice moment seeing them have that. But one of the questions Jordan asked was, you had limitations in Cleveland that you're not going to have here in Chicago, certainly in terms of payroll and finances. And Carter talked about you have to be so disciplined in an environment like Cleveland where you've got an artificially low payroll to work with, where ownership is not putting up the money that the Cubs should be putting up and will be putting up. So cool to hear his perspective on that. About specifics with the team, he didn't have a whole lot to say yet, or at least nothing he wanted to share. Still, I was taken away that this is an impressive guy. I think the Cubs are in good hands with Jed and Carter. Yeah, I think, as you said, I think he's an impressive guy as well. And, you know, he didn't really come across as somebody that would be kind of antagonistic to, uh, you know, the media. I could see him forthcoming. But one thing I was kind of impressed by was he did seem to do his uh, due diligence, which obviously, uh, just talking about him, seemed like a very... Um, you know, organized guy, very, he probably researches a lot and, and just, you know, having an idea of what he wants to do. I, I like, he referred back to Jed's end of season press conference a bunch. Now, maybe there was kind of a plan, maybe, I don't know, to just be on the same page, but I, it, it, to me, it seemed like, you know, he watched Jet's end of season press conference, which I, I think he did. And sure. he was able to refer back to, he talked about, you know, the questions where you just brought up, uh, well, the Cubs have resources. And he talked about, you know, as Jed said, and I think Jed said smartly, like we need to send Ben intelligently. So he seems like a guy who, you know, put in the work, understands the work, uh, can, he gets on the same page with Jed immediately. Um, so I, I, I was kind of impressed. I Obviously, we don't know how things are going to work out. Um, hopefully everything works out, you know, for the best, but just from a base, I like, you can have it most, the opening press conference, introductory press, that's a very low bar to, to cross. Like, yeah, it's not hard to do those, but I have seen them where they've messed up before and you get the introductory press conference. You're like, I, I don't what know what's hell? going on here. I, what's going on? Like, I'll give you an example. Tim Beckman at the university of Illinois, <laughs> oh, man. when the guy comes out screaming about beanies and weenies and you're like, I don't know what's going on here. I got one for you too. That okay. Detroit Lions head coach, when he oh, was God. hired and he was talking about yeah. stepping on players' throats yeah. and kicking them in the knee, you're like, what the hell is this guy talking about? Right, exactly. Why hire this guy? Right. I it's like, me. that's a good point. It's like, well, didn't this come up in the interview? Like, how did you not have an interview with this man and like see this? <laughs> but, you know, he, he obviously pre presented well. Um, you know, he seemed like, you know, he's of the moment. All he's, he comes, I like the fact that he was a player at a, at a college, why he talked about that he was a backup catcher, but he he was a player at a college that's a high level college, one of the best universities 
uh, in terms of baseball. Well, actually, both athletically and academically in terms of baseball academically. And and I so I like how he has that background as well. And he came up through scouting and development. So I like how he has all those worlds. But he also seems like he understands, you know, the modern game and he fits the modern profile. But he has the traditional background. So I, I like that as well. Jeremy, he mentioned that, that as a backup catcher, he did not play a lot of baseball, but playing for Vanderbilt, he got to see a lot of very good yeah. baseball from the bench. He mentioned that in the press conference, and that stood out to me, how <laughs> that probably put him on the path to being an executive rather than a, a player, realizing, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be able to cut it on the field, I don't think, but I still think there's something I can do in this game. That's a good point, Randall. That was one of my favorite points of the press conference, too. He talked about when he was a catcher. And when you're a catcher with a team, you're embedded with everybody. You're working with hitters. You're working with infielders. You're working with your pitchers a lot. So you get a full grasp of things. He says, if you're a college baseball player, whether you're a D1 player or a D3 player or a Juco guy, you're convinced you're going to the major leagues. Like you're on your way. It's just a matter of time before the scouts see you and you're playing major league baseball. He said the minute that changed for him was when David Price walked into the locker room at Vandy. He's like, Oh no, there's a whole different layer or caliber of talent that exists in baseball. I got to start thinking sort of big picture here. How can I fit in the baseball world without being a player? I thought that was fun. Vanderbilt, Jeremy, you're the big college baseball guy in here. That's a baseball program that has just churned out talent, not just players, but members of their coaching staff that are on major league coaching staffs or in major league front offices, Vanderbilt's become a powerhouse. So they got a good mind, I think, coming into this organization. And we got good days, got lots of wins ahead for the Chicago Cubs, I think. Definitely. And Vanderbilt also, uh, in terms of pitching, is a pitching powerhouse. They've produced yeah. tons of pitchers, spe specifically, you mentioned David Price in the NLCS right now. You have Walker Bueller, another Vandy guy, um, a few others, Sonny Gray, you know. Uh, Carson Fulmer who didn't really make it with the White Sox, but he got another one. Dansby Swanson also in the NLCS on the uh, Braves, another Vanderbilt guy. But uh, as you mentioned, and as we mentioned, uh, or I mentioned last week, uh, Derek Johnson was a form came up from Vanderbilt as the pitching coach. Carter Hawkins mentioned said he was the pitching coach when I was at Vanderbilt. He won the first hire Steele made at, at the Cubs or Jed. They hired uh, Derek Johnson to run their you know pitching development, and then he was able to move up, and, and now he's currently the Reds pitching pitching coach and the Reds have had tremendous success with pitchers. So Vanderbilt's obviously been a huge program in terms of both development and producing talent. And so it's nice to get a guy who kind of has that experience, can go back to that, has the contacts with that, with a bunch of players, with a bunch of coaches and his mentor, Tim Corbin is one of the top coaches in, in baseball. And so to have that guy, and I, I must say though, to be the backup catcher at a place like Vanderbilt, getting to watch baseball, I think that must be the best. Yeah. I mean, you want to play, right? Everybody probably wants to play, but if you're sitting there getting to watch all this awesome baseball, all these awesome players, I think that must be pretty fun. You get an easy seat in the dugout. That must be an amazing experience. I, I think all of it too. You're in Nashville, an awesome city. You're playing in a nice ballpark in a competitive league. And you know, you're at a world-class school too. So it's yeah. the best of everything. If you're going to be a college ball player, Vandy's up near the top of the list. I think that's as fun as it could be. And if you're good and you're on that team, holy oh, cow, yeah. that's just, that's the life. And I think that would be a lot of fun to be in that position. You watch those games and it's like, man, if you had the talent, how neat would it be to get that opportunity to play there? So we're excited. Carter Hawkins is the 16th general manager in Chicago Cubs history. If you're interested in watching that press conference, it is on YouTube. Let me nerd out here for just a second. Something I really like that the Cubs do. One, they post press conferences in full. So you get to see the entire thing, not look at quotes that journalists and media members take and throw on Twitter. You get the context of everything that happens. I really enjoy that. 
Something else I enjoy that the Cubs do, they do a little bit of pre-roll and a little bit of post-roll. So you actually get to see how a professional organization handles a press conference. So for example, the very beginning of it, the media relations rep for the Cubs introduces Jed and the general manager. He says they're both going to make opening statements. After they make their opening statements, he gets back on the mic. He tells the media, before you ask your questions, state your affiliation and your name. It's just kind of cool to see the in and outs and the behind the scenes stuff. All of us have seen snippets and clips of press conferences. The typical baseball fan has never had the opportunity to actually attend one of those. And they are actually kind of neat events if you're into that stuff. So I like it. It's worth watching. It's only about 20 minutes long too. So worth checking out if you want to see a little bit more about Carter Hawkins. Other front office news. This broke just a little bit before we went live here this evening. Randy Bush, who's been in the Chicago Cubs organization for about 15 years, is moving off from his position as assistant general manager. He is now going to be an advisor within the Chicago Cubs organization. Randy Bush, Jeremy, that's a name that goes back many, many generations. A guy who worked with someone like Jim Hendry. One, I'm surprised he's kind of still in the organization, but it's interesting to see he's moving into an advisory role now and a little bit of a new position in this restructured front office. I was definitely surprised he uh, was able to maintain a role in the organization when Jed and Theo took over. I figured he would be gone, but I actually think that speaks to the character of Jed and Theo, keeping a guy around like that who you know, maybe they weren't as familiar with, but you know, they saw the value in having him. You don't, you don't want everybody to be a guy that like, it's just some guy you've come up with or who's, who speaks. You, you want to have some other voices in there. Uh, Randy Bush was the interim GM when Jim Hendry was fired. Although that was like in August of 2011. So I can't imagine there was that much going on, although there was a waiver period still at that time. Um, but he's been around for a long time. As you mentioned, I was actually a little surprised. I thought he would have been brought on by Andy McPhail because Andy McPhail was the GM of the Minnesota Twins in the 80s, and Randy Bush played for the Minnesota Twins in the 80s. So mm-hmm. I always kind of assumed that was the connection, why Randy Bush is around with the Cubs. But it seems like he came in afterwards. I thought he was around a little bit longer um, and more, was more of a Hendry guy who also was brought in by Andy McPhail, but was brought in up by Jim Hendry. So, But it's kind of a connection to you know a different era, uh, the mid two thousands, bringing it back. And it's, you know, he's older now with the family. So he gets to stay in Jacksonville and still have a job with the Cubs and still do some special projects. So I imagine it's a win-win for him. Yeah. You know, this, he was in two different administrations with this team. As Jeremy mentioned, he was the interim GM between uh, Jim Hendry's firing and the bringing in of Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer. Um served as a special assistant for a while. He did a whole lot of advanced scouting. Uh, Yeah. So this is a guy who's been in the front office for a very long time. As Jeremy said, uh, he probably valued by the, I was going to say the current, it's not current anymore because it's not Theo's administration anymore, but probably valued by Theo as a guy who really had a, an intimate knowledge of the team and the organization. And he valued that voice. And, you know, I'm a little curious as to whether he is kind of moving to an advisory role of his own accord or whether this is part of a restructuring on the part of you got a brand new GM in there under the team president. So I'm a little curious, but again, he survived two different administrations and that's clearly a voice that has some value to a lot of individuals. Well, Patrick Mooney with the athletic reported that this has been in the works since August Bush let Hoyer know he wasn't planning to return as assistant general manager Uh, Hoyer worked with him to create this advisory position. Bush is going to be spending most of it working remote. He lives in Jacksonville. He's looking forward to more time around his family. So I think that this was Bush maybe saying, look, 
I'm ready for a new challenge or a different type of an opportunity. And it was the best of both worlds as the Cubs were making other front office moves. Yeah, it's also kind of different. You know, he's getting, I mean, he's only 63, which is not super old or anything. But, you know, he has grandkids getting older. It's a, it's a more, it's a different time period. Like you can work remotely and do things. Plus there's the mm-hmm. pandemic still, you know, tapering off, but still going on. Um, so I can understand why, you know, and it would be interesting to see, as Randall mentioned, you know, we talk about restructuring. There's been a lot of changes with the Cubs over the past year or two. Um, not just, you know, Theo stepping down, but there are a lot of guys that have, you know, left and moved on from, you know, the 2016 Cubs. Uh, uh, the Cubs restructured their entire kind of development systems, their entire scouting systems. Uh, Dan Kantrovitz is a guy they brought in to be the scouting um, director. They moved Jason McLeod around, who was the scouting director. He's now kind of like a special assistant. Um, some other guys. So, so there's a lot of new voices, it seems like, in the Cubs organization. And it wouldn't surprise me if Carter Hawkins gets to say, like, there's going to be a, an open assistant GM spot. It wouldn't surprise me if Carter Hawkins has a say in who he wants to fill that spot. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if that's Carter Hawkins call. Like if he's going to make the interviews, he's going to make the hiring for who he wants to be around him. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if it's somebody from Cleveland he brings with him. I disagree completely. I think it's Randall J. Sanders. Oh, that's the guy that this well, Carter Hawkins is going to make that decision. though. He's going to bring <laughs> Randall well, aboard. When- when my phone rings and it, it's got that 312 or that 773 area code, I will answer it gladly. And if, you know, the best way I can serve this fandom is to be assistant GM for the Chicago Cubs. Um, as long as they're willing to pay my price, I'll be more than happy to take. It's probably job. got like an Atlanta area code. If it's Carter Hawkins calling. Probably, probably. Well, he's, <laughs> calling cell from, phone. he's calling from his office phone, Jeremy. He wants to make it official. Yeah. I would love to see it. Maybe that day will come for us, but changes are happening. We knew this was coming. Carter Hawkins in as the GM, Randy Bush moving from an assistant general manager into an advisory role. Jeremy, you mentioned he was with the Minnesota Twins. More than 1,200 career major league games for Randy Bush. He was an outfielder. He was a first baseman. He won not one, but two rings with the Minnesota Twins. Also was the head baseball coach at the University of New Orleans for six seasons before joining the Cubs organization as a special assistant and advanced scout. So this is a lifer, man. He's been around baseball. He's been a part of world championship teams. Now he gets to sort of evolve his role as part of this new Cubs front office. We're excited for this offseason to begin. As nervous as we are about the CBA, let's see what Carter's doing in terms of restructuring and those guys all coming together. So we'll get into that. Lots more to talk about in future editions here of the podcast. Also, next week, we will do another update on the Arizona Fall League. We pitched it a little bit last week. We want to give those teams some time to get some games under their belts, and we'll see how the Cubs prospects are doing. We'll revisit that in episode number 42. The postseason marching on as we record this here on Wednesday evening, Houston with a three to two series lead over the Boston Red Sox. They won a couple now here at Fenway Park. It's going back to Houston for potentially two more. This is the time of the year where I think, especially for us with the Cardinals out, with the Brewers out, even with the White Sox out, it's like, all right, just give me game sevens. Give me as many game sevens as you can. I want as much baseball. I want as much chaos. We may get that in the American League. This has been a fun series between Boston and Houston. It's been a very fun series. Uh, it seems like, you know, every other game, it's somebody else just, it's just someone's just dominating. It, yeah. It hasn't quite seemed like they've been close games. Houston's been crushing or Boston's been crushing. Uh, so it, it's been a fun series. And, and every time, like, you know, you're watching and you keep thinking about all the, the Cubs that we've 
trade away, but I'm always surprised at how many ex Cubs are on these teams. If you want to count guys like Kendall Graveman, uh, you know, Brooks Raley is coming out of the bullpen for the Houston Astros. It he, counts. It counts. He was there in 2012, 2013. And then he spent like six years not in the majors. And now he's back in the Houston bullpen coming out as a lefty. It's kind of crazy. And then you have your Martin Maldonado. He counts uh, as spending the Cubs for like a week and not never getting a hit. But, you know, I'm with you, Ronan. I'm rooting for uh, just fun series. I'm rooting for extended series, game sevens. I'm not, you know, I, I don't want to see Houston succeed, but Boston's no, you know, in the whole cheating thing, you got Alex Cora, so it's hard there. But I'm rooting for just great baseball. Yeah, it's it's the the really, really bad cheaters versus the just really bad cheaters. There's levels of cheating going on there. Boston has to be panicking. I honestly thought they had the series in the bag. They were up two games to one. They still had games to be played at Fenway. And now they've lost two straight, both by pretty significant margins, especially for a postseason game. And now they have to go back to Houston and they have to play at the, uh, the juice box with the train and the Crawford boxes. The, the hill, the hill is gone, but I'm, I'm still glad the Cubs don't play there. Uh, 10 or nine times every season. I don't miss that ballpark, but they have to be panicking. You're going back on the road. You're down three games to two. Uh, your, your season could be over very quickly. Just as uh, a few days ago, it seemed like you were on your way to the world series. So they have to be really, really uncomfortable right now. I do miss that ballpark. And I also miss that Hill. I know that probably it's for the best to not have that Hill. It's pretty absurd, but I miss like Lance Berkman going up there and making a ridiculous catch when Lance Berkman was a center fielder for some reason. I, I, I miss all of that. I miss, I like ballparks that have crazy hijinks in them and, and that aren't all the same. So, uh, and just, you know, I, it's hard for me to sometimes remember that Houston is an American league team. I think yeah. Houston just being an NL central opponent of the Cubs. And I miss going back down there. That, don't forget, don't forget the flagpole right yeah. smack in the middle of center yeah. field. That's in, in the field of play. Yeah. Monument I, Park and Yankee Stadium used to be in the field of play. Jeremy, I'm, I'm with you in general. I miss Cubs Astros. It was a good rivalry. They beat the piss out of the Cubs many of those years in the late 90s and early 2000s. Yeah. But those were iconic games and the killer bees, Kerry Woods, 20 strikeout game like that mattered. Brown, Cubs, Houston, exactly. That stuff mattered. And that rivalry was good. It was two of the biggest cities also in the middle of the country here with good fan bases and fan bases that travel. There were always Astros fans at Wrigley Field and Cubs travel everywhere. We're all over the place. So I do miss that. I think that that's a missed opportunity in the National League. I think it is good for Houston that they get the regional rivalry with Dallas and the Arlington area. But it sucks for the Astros that the rest of their division games start at nine o'clock locally. They play a road game against anybody else in the division and it's starting late at night. That stinks. That isn't very good for baseball down there. So there's a give and a take. Maybe it changes again with some restructuring and extended playoffs and all this other stuff that could be coming. But I do miss Cubs Astros. And one thing about that ballpark, Randall, that I like is the train theme. It makes sense. They're downtown. They're sort of connected to Union Station there. It makes sense to have that train line involved. You know who hated it, though? Ron Santo, someone we talk about a lot on this show. He hated that damn train. Not only did he hate that damn train, but this is a, a, uh, a calendrically appropriate reference. Who could forget him thinking the oranges were pumpkins? Asking, yeah. asking if the, the big orange things at Minute Maid Park, uh, are those pumpkins, Patrick? 
Yeah. So Santo Santo hated the train, but he enjoyed misidentifying orange objects, I guess. I, I miss the Astrodome. I mean, yeah. it wasn't like the best place in the world, but like you, know, you, you hit a ball there, you never go out. Like I still remember Sammy hitting his 66th homer there, just crushing it. And for a brief moment in time, Sammy Sosa was the all-time home run king in terms of single season. So, uh, you know, I, I miss the Astrodome. You want to see chaos, pull up a clip of that 66th home run and just look at the ballpark. Sammy playing in this, I mean, the Astrodome is this iconic structure. If you've ever seen it, you're never going to forget the Astrodome, but the place was absolutely packed. I, I don't know offhand what the Astrodome held. I imagine it was, what, maybe 50,000, given Probably, that it was yeah. a big dome yeah, stadium big. and there were triple decks. Randall's looking it up right now. You got it, and you, pretty much crowd. all around. I would bet it was at, at least 50,000. Yeah, and was- oh, look at Randall. He's got his... uh. I mean, they also, they also hosted football there. They had the Oilers. They did. They hosted a number of different events there. Um, the capacity of the Astrodome, full capacity for events that were not baseball, the record attendance at the Astrodome was actually almost 68,000, wow. which was apparently for a, a wrestling event. Um, Mike. I, yeah, Mike, <laughs> our, our good friend, Mike is a big fan, of course. Uh, seating capacity for the Astrodome, it actually increased over the course of the uh, <laughs> that ballpark's tenure. It started at around 42,000. By the time the Astrodome closed in 1999, that had gone up to about 54,000. So, okay. yeah. So look at the clip of Sammy's Homer. It's worth watching. It's just bedlam in that ballpark. Um, all right, prediction time. Anybody can win the series. Jeremy, who wins the American League pennant? I'm going to go with the Astros. You know, obviously they have the advantage right now being up 3-2, but I, I think the Astros are the better team anyway, so I'm going to go with them. Dusty gets into the World Series again. Wow. Randall. To my deep, deep dismay, I agree with Jeremy. I'm not dismayed about agreeing with Jeremy, but I do. I, I am in dismay over the outcome. I, I think the Red Sox are going to find it too difficult to win two more games on the road, and I think the Astros probably represent the AL in the World Series. Dusty plants his toothpick on the mound, and he writes his own redemption narrative in the dirt using the toothpick. Unfortunately, I think it is going to be Houston. I want it to be Boston. I hope that they can make this fun and certainly give us a game seven. But I do think the Astros are going to do it. It felt like a real punch in the mouth on Tuesday night. That seven-run ninth inning to take a 2-2 game, make it a 9-2 game, and then the blowout win here on Wednesday, 9-1. So that's some slapping around at Fenway Park. The Astros certainly have the momentum going back to the juice box. And it should be said that none of those seven runs that put the Astros ahead for good would have scored with competent umpiring behind the plate. We all know what I think of umpires. I've said repeatedly, nothing is going to change, and you're still going to get umpires missing huge calls on the biggest possible stage. Welcome to October. Here we are. It was a tough call. Would have been a strikeout to get Boston out of the inning. It was called a ball. I think it maybe moved the count to three and two. At least it extended the at-bat. And then next thing you know, the floodgates are open and the Astros are cruising here. So we'll see. But the thought here is it's the Houston Astros winning the American League pennant. Let's go over to the National League. It is down to two. The Los Angeles Dodgers, the Atlanta Braves. We're recording this on Wednesday night. The Braves are up late. It's five to two, so hardly a done deal here in the seventh inning. It looked like this series may have been over yesterday. Dodgers were up against the wall. They were down two to nothing. A four-run eighth inning, including a heroic home run from Cody Bellinger. Just an incredible moment at a jam-packed Dodger stadium. Breathed new life into the Dodgers, but right back at it today. Two runs in the second inning, two runs in the third inning, and Atlanta's up late. 
Yeah, the Dodgers have been kind of, I feel like they haven't really been themselves this uh, postseason. I know they've had some injuries. Obviously, Max Muncy has had some issues, Clayton Kershaw, but it, their offense just hasn't really seemed to quite got, get it going. And, and they've, they, you know, they had that game against the Giants where it just felt like a game at Wrigley and they had everything in the, to the win. But it's still, and, and they've been up against it and, they, and they've blown it too. Like Atlanta's come from behind a couple of times in the series. So Atlanta, you know, if they're able to go up 3-1, that's, that's a huge lead. Although we all know how 3-1 series go. Yeah, you know, we said last night discussing the two series uh, privately that I would have bet on the Red Sox as being the team that could rebound from a tough loss and still go on. And that the Braves, I would absolutely believe that they're going to fall apart after a, a tough come from ahead loss right now it, that is reversed. So we'll see if it holds up. Um, but yeah, if the Braves bullpen can avoid imploding, I think I probably give the series to them, but we'll see because bullpens in October are no sure thing for any team. Randall, yeah. how excited are you to see Jesse Chavez out there? Uh, as, as excited as the next person to see Jesse Chavez. I appreciate his hard work. Other former 2018. Cup. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I likened him to a, like a mongoose. When he was on the Cubs, he was oh, fearless. He'd go out there he'd attack hitters with that 92 mile an hour fastball of his. And he got results as often as not. So I appreciate his hard work in a season for the Cubs. And I hope he uh, is able to celebrate going forward. The Braves also have uh, Drew Smiley, who pitched pretty well yeah. um, today for them. And that's another guy like Kendall Graveman that the Cubs signed. Coming off an injury, spent a whole year, you know, developing him. And then when push came to shove and they had a, decide whether or not to keep him around. They punted him and <laughs> moved on from uh, trading him for what ended up really being Cole Hamels um, to the Texas Rangers. Uh, but the Braves are an interesting team. You know, we've seen Jock go off. It's nice to see Jock do well using Anthony Rizzo's bad. Unfortunately, Jorge Soler has COVID, so we can't really see what he's going to do right now. Maybe he'll be back if the Braves are able to make it to the World Series. But that, that's, that would be a huge deal if the Braves can finally get back to the World Series for the first time in 20 years. You know, growing up, it just always assumed the Braves would be in the World Series or the NLCS or there. But they've had some postseason. Obviously, they had some postseason struggles in the 90s. They could never finish it off. But they've had some postseason struggles over the, you know, the last decade or so where they really haven't been able to make it that far. So uh, it'll be fun to see the Braves back in the World Series if they're able to make it there. Well, it's been entertaining. Both championship series have been good baseball, lively crowds, whether it's at Fenway Park, 53,000 yesterday at Dodger Stadium. That place just looks awesome. We've talked about it here on the show. It's a ballpark that we all want to get to in the next couple of years. It just seems like a real nice place in the middle of October to watch a ball game. Um, so don't count them out. The Dodgers are again against the ropes here, down five to two late, but we'll sort of see where that game goes as we continue to record this podcast, and then we'll see what happens prediction time jeremy it feels like you're going with the braves safe to say i am going with the braves although i will say albert pujols you know he's starting that rally right now got to give it to the Pu to the pujols man and so who knows where the dodgers if they can pull this off but I i'll take the braves overall yeah i will also take the braves in this series though i reserve the right to change that i think if the dodgers can pull it out tonight i'm going to switch that to the dodgers i think the braves are going to be completely shook and just collapse from here. So I'm going to base it on tonight, but I'm going to say the Braves hold on, win the series, and go to the World Series. Yeah, I'll say if the Braves win the series, they'll win the series, and if the Dodgers win the series, they'll win the series. 
Okay, that's uh, really going out on a limb there, <laughs> Jeremy. Um, I'm going with the Dodgers here. Just don't call out the world champs, even if they lose tonight. They've got bats up and down that lineup. They've got fantastic pitching. They're more than capable of winning a couple of ball games. If it is Atlanta, though, a perfect and wonderful representative of the National League. They've got a great roster. They've been competitive. They've got a player at first base who very likely may end up being a Hall of Famer. When it's all said and done, we're seeing some really good baseball out of Frederick. Even though he struggled a little bit here in the playoffs, he's had some big home runs as well. National League's fun. These are two good teams. Let's hope it goes to seven. I think it's going to be the Dodgers, though, and uh, see if they'll go and defend their crown as World Series champs. I don't know if this will change your opinion right now, but Justin Turner is walking gingerly off the field, and not just gingerly because of the hair and the you know the whole ordeal but it looks like he may have pulled a hamstring and the trainer is out and uh so that does not look good for the dodgers for their chances of coming back jeremy gingerly that's that's pretty good because if there's one thing justin turner does it's be ginger exactly well when we come back next week we'll know who's in the world series we'll preview that to the best of our ability we'll make some prediction on who's going to win the world series this year and then the offseason really gets going and goodness the flood of stories about the collective bargaining agreement we're right on the cusp of it we know what's coming we're going to save that though for after the baseball games end we'll see how things wrap up in the nl and the american league well i like a good rant folks and something has bothered me about the playoffs here and i don't know that it's bothering both of you as much as it's bothering me so i think this is a good opportunity to get into it one of the things that i complain about more than anything are cheap owners uh owners that are not doing things to grow the game maybe they're just focused on their profits and not on the health and the future livelihood of the great sport of baseball and major league baseball and i want to be clear too i've got no problem with owners making money they should make money they should strive to make money but they should also be much more aggressive in trying to win baseball games and taking care of the people who allow them the luxuries of being a major league baseball owner it is complete to quote randall it is complete and utter horseshit that these playoff games are played in the middle of the week in the middle of the afternoon the, and i would just want to say this before i let you guys kind of chime in the reason why it happens because i see people on twitter and they're going well why is major league baseball playing a playoff game between atlanta and los angeles at two o'clock in the afternoon on a goddamn wednesday the reason is major league baseball gets more money to put these games on tv if they do not overlap with each other and if they're not competing with each other so it's more advantageous for major league baseball from a short-term profit standpoint to put games between teams in major markets in the middle of the afternoon midweek it is not good for sports fans if you go to school it is not good for a major league baseball playoff game on a tuesday to start at two o'clock in the afternoon for most people who work two o'clock on tuesday is not the optimal time to enjoy a baseball game and i hear people say well you're remote you're working from home you can put it on Give me a break. I want to be able to watch the baseball game. I don't want to be glancing at a baseball game between conference calls and talking with clients. I can't get into a ball game if I got to still be in work mode. This bothers me, guys. It really bothers me that NLCS games are played at three o'clock in the afternoon on a Tuesday. Am I crazy? Well, you might be, but I don't think because of this necessarily. Um, yeah, Ronan, you mentioned that it's it's profit-based, that your MLB makes more money if they don't pit the games against each other on TV. I don't think anything quite summarizes MLB right now so well as we're going to increase our short-term profit in the name of having fewer people able to watch. And you, you see it with everything the league does, that 
They are not willing to make decisions that might reduce their bottom line a little bit in the name of making things better for the fans. You talk about how many fans can't watch uh, baseball online because of blackout rules, everything like that. It is all about profit for them, and it, it, it makes it difficult for fans a lot of the time. Well, I'm going to push back a little bit on this. You know, I'm going to disagree with you, Ronan. First of all, and, and you know, you make some solid points and you make some legitimate points, and I'm not going to push back on your points. I'm just going to push back in terms of saying that for me, I like to, I like day baseball and I like day baseball day playoff baseball. I like the nostalgia of, you know, if, if I, you know, maybe it sucks for the children, but I like also, uh, you know, being in school and feeling, and maybe you have a cool teacher who lets you watch a little bit of the game or, or, you know, trying to be, I always thought that was fun. And, you know, speaking of kids, like a game that's starting at seven o'clock now is ending at like 11, which I think is a huge problem. And so they're not watching the end of the games anyways, they're going to bed. Um, but you know, obviously it's more profitable for them because, you know, if they space it out, they can get more people to watch each game. So the, it's not, I mean, if, if you have the games on the same time, it takes viewership away from uh, each game. So I, I, the, overall, there's more viewership on each, each particular game. Each individual game will have more viewership, which is why it's more profitable. But I don't know. I, I just have, I'm nostalgic for it. I like it. Um, it's, it's fun to me to have in the background. You know, if, if it was my team, I might feel a little, although the, the Cubs really haven't had quite been put in that spot. They've had a couple of day baseball games, but not as many as um, a ton. But, you know, and, and then when it is your team, your bosses, they might be a little more lenient with you. you know, Jeremy, you, you say that I, I'm, I'm actually OK with it in the division series, just because you have so many games going on. And you do have to stagger them. And one of the most fun Cubs games in recent memory, the game five of the 2015 NLDS, that was a mid-afternoon game. That was going on when you still had the sun out at Wrigley and you still had the shadows being a thing. It finished in the early evening, obviously, because that game took a little while. So I kind of don't mind it in the division series, but I agree. The championship series, this is your, these are your, your semifinals. You need that in prime time. Uh, it, you shouldn't shunt one game or, or the other to the afternoon in the daylight. Uh, just because you want to increase the short-term profit margin a little bit, your championship series games should be in prime time. Give me a day World Series game, maybe not a weekday on a day, Saturday. Day on a Saturday, yeah, I got no problem give me, with give that me on a day Saturday. World Series game, but on a Tuesday, I mean, if you're retired, if you don't work, it, I mean, it's nice, I guess, right? But like, I, Randall, here's something that you don't think about a lot: being sympathetic to White Sox fans. Nope. If you're a high school or college-aged White Sox fan. You've not seen your team play in the playoffs until the last two years. And last year was weird with the COVID thing. And now you're playing a game against Houston. You're talking two of the top four biggest markets in the United States. And this game's at one o'clock on a Monday afternoon. That's absolutely insane. And okay, yeah, your teacher may allow you to listen to it. That was, wasn't, that, wasn't that Columbus Day? They were all But do you off. know what's more fun? Watching the game. Being able to watch the entire game and not hoping that your teacher will allow you to watch portions of the game. And for me at work, like... I want to watch the ball game. I don't want to be like, oh, crap, the Cubs got the bases loaded in the third, but I got to call X person and talk to them for 30 minutes. That's horrible. So I agree, though, Jeremy, you bring up a very good point. Pace of play is a problem. Length of game is a problem. It's a major problem. It does need to be addressed. I've pushed back on that, but these playoff games are taking four and a half hours. It's yeah. absolutely insane. So there needs to be a happy medium in there. Late afternoon, early evening, Put it there. There should not be NLCS games with defending world champions at three o'clock local on a Tuesday. That's insane. I I I feel like in 03 and going back there, I feel like they did put them up against each other. I feel like there was that was 
they they were up against each other and then maybe mm-hmm. later television contracts spaced them out more but I, I i feel like the cubs marlins was up against the the red sox yankees but look at those games too they're all at night like yeah, you watch those cubs marlins exactly to your point right. all of those games are at night so you're able to watch them and you can afford a little bit of a later start on a friday night or a saturday because people can stay up generally more on the weekend these midweek day games though it's brutal and when you realize why it's just profit it's just a matter of we're going to make more money if we put this game at two o'clock in the afternoon and screw those people who have responsibilities and jobs don't worry about them so much we just want to get as much money as we can the tv networks want it too yeah but it's not good for the overall health of the sport like nobody could say this is good for Major League Baseball in the long run to have the Dodgers or the White Sox and the Astros play it at one o'clock on a Monday. Like that is not good for the growth of the sport. I, I'm MLB, just saying I'm for MLB is not there. good. MLB is not good at growing the sport. We've, we've been over that a number of times. And the playoffs are going to be extended. We're going to have more playoff games. That is one thing that the players and the owners, I think, are going to find a very easy agreement on is if there are more playoff games, there is more money. If there's more money, the owners and the players get a little bit more money. So we've got some major changes coming here. I just hope moving forward, there can be a way for these games to be bumped back a little bit later in the day. Part of it too is where I'm at. I'm not in the central time zone. I've got another hour that I'm working with. I get Cubs regular season games. That's a whole different story, but I get Cubs regular season games when they're in Cincinnati at like 1030 in the morning. It starts here in Denver. It's very, very strange to wake up like that and have a baseball game, but I don't want to see that for the postseason. Jeremy, one final point. I do love the thought of a late afternoon world series game. Just put it on a Saturday or put it on a Sunday. And the reason why they probably won't do it on a Sunday is you're up against football. That's not good for Major League Baseball. Maybe a Saturday afternoon, like a 3.30 start or something like that, that would be kind of cool to get a little bit of daylight again at a World Series game. Also up against football. I could football. get up with that. Also, also up against, up against college football, but it's not the NFL. True. You're, they're afraid of the NFL. I mean, Sunday nights, well, yeah. Monday nights, bad time uh, for getting eyeballs on Major League Baseball games the yes. time of the year. Mm, yeah, the, the NFL dominates all. The NFL is king. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, good stuff. I, I feel better. I got that off my chest. We're you guys here. heard me complaining about More rants that. the mirror. We're here. We're here to let you get stuff off your chest and various other body parts. We should have. We should have the segment. Triple R Ronan Ronan Randall rant. Exactly. And not all of them will be at Dick Montfort. This is kind of also <laughs> yeah. at Dick Montfort, but not as direct. Tom Ricketts. I really thought he was going to get through the episode without mentioning Dick Montfort. <laughs> uh, never, never a chance uh, to a not fight, quadruple R. Ronan Randall Ranch Ricketts. <laughs> Let me say one thing on that super quick. And then we're going to get into some Cubs trivia. We haven't done that. I'm impressed with the Cubs search for the general manager. You feel like they vetted candidates. Carter Hawkins is a guy that if the Cubs hadn't hired him, he was going somewhere else. It was just a matter of time before he was going to be given the keys to a baseball organization. What I, did I the like, Rockies do? Yeah. They I hired also... their internal GM who did nothing, absolutely nothing after taking over the team in April, except alienate their best player, Trevor Story, who's an impending free agent. All they had to do was trade Trevor Story, get something back in return, go about their business here. They don't do that. They're going to lose him. And this guy gets rewarded with a contract extension. How not to run a baseball team. Hire your shitty interim GM. How to run a baseball team. Vet some candidates. Hire a guy like Carter Hawkins. What do you got, Jeremy? Yeah, I, I, it was something that I was thinking about when we were talking about with Carter Hawkins before. And then you mentioned the search and having candidates. Um, I, I also thought similarly, sim, thought similarly. 
And I was curious as to what the actual, you know, process was like, how many applicants they got and everything. Obviously, it kind of played out, you know, behind closed doors. We didn't even really learn about it really to like the four finalists were mentioned in an article. But supposedly, you know, the Mets on the other end are having all kinds of issues trying to figure out what's going on there. They their top guys don't aren't interested. They don't even really seem to have formulated a list for uh, other people to bring in. And from what I've read, it seems like a lot of applicants, the reason they didn't do it this last year is because they didn't get the applicants they wanted. They didn't think that anybody interesting, they were interested in anybody that was applying. So it's nice to see the Cubs had a, a good candidate pool as opposed to what the Mets seemingly are doing. The Mets got Lou Brown. They they contacted a candidate and he was perfectly content to sit there and continue running his car dealerships. So literally they had a guy tell him, I'll call you back. I got somebody on the other line asking about some white walls. Jeez, geez. Tough time for the Mets. See what happens with Javi. If he's sticking in New York or maybe comes back to They're going to sign Javi to a monster contract and they're not even going to have a GM. <laughs> it's a mess in New yeah. York. Um, a lot of pressure on the other side of town, too, with the Yankees to figure things out after an abrupt playoff exit this year. Well, I got some Cubs trivia. We haven't done this in months. We put it on the back burner because we had lots of Cubs baseball to talk about. But as we get into the offseason, if you don't remember this segment or if you're new to it, this is completely useless, random Cubs trivia. I try to theme it. The theme today is Pumpkin Patty, and it's got nothing to do with the answers. One of the answers, you could kind of weave Patty into it, but... It's just trying to be thematic to this time of the year. What I did for these questions, and I've got four in total, is I tried to capture the closest approximation I could to our shared Cubs experience. So Jeremy, Randall, and I. So I've got some questions pertaining to all of the Cubs from 2000 through this season that just completed 2021. So I'm going to ask you some questions. That is the timeline we're working in, 2000 through 2021. I've got four questions for you. We will start with two on offense. We'll finish with two regarding the pitching staff. So my first question is this, and please do it in order. Can you name the Cubs top five offensive war leaders from 2000 through 2021? And I realize it's five. It's a lot of names. I'll give you a minute to kind of get your thoughts together on that. But we've seen many good Cubs teams. Since 2000, we've seen many bad Cubs teams, and we've seen players that have stuck around for a couple of years throughout those durations. Randall, you got a big smile on your face. You want to take a stab at this one first? That's more of a, wow, that's a hell of a question than it is a smile. So these are the five players. Do I have to get them in order? Will I get credit? You know, if you could at least name number one. All right. right. I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess number one being Chris Bryant. And then in no particular order elsewhere on the list, I'm going to put Anthony Rizzo, Derek Lee, Aramis Ramirez, and Sammy Sosa. Okay. Jeremy, top five offensive Cubs since 2000. Yeah. Um, I am going to guess, and I'm going to have a similar list to Randall, I guess, but I think I'm going to guess number one is Anthony Rizzo. Um, I'm going to guess, I'm going to try to guess in order. I'm going to guess number two is Derek Lee. I'm going to guess number three is Chris Bryant. Actually, I'm going to guess number three is Ramos Ramirez. I'm going to guess number four is Chris Bryant. And I guess number five is Sammy Sosa. All right. So here's what we got. Cubs top five war. You guys got the right players together. The order, though, is a little bit off here. 
Number one with 31.7 war, Anthony Rizzo. He didn't come back since 2000. Number two with 30.8 war, Chris Bryant. Number three in the fewest number of games of all of these players, 729 games with 25.9 war, slamming Sammy, bringing back to the Cubs, Sammy Sosa. Number four with 25.7 war, Aramis Ramirez. And number five with Randall's number, 22.3 war, former first baseman Derek Lee. So that rounds out the first five. You guys sort of had mixed answers in there. You had the right five order a little bit wonky in there, but it's Rizzo, Bryant, Sosa, Ramirez, Derek Lee rounding out the top five for the Cubs. Um, I was thinking about Randall as I was coming up with these questions and something Randall's very good at, as you know, Jeremy, he's quick, he's fast, he's sneaky. He's very, very quiet when he sort of sneaks around things. He can kind of get around you without you knowing. He's elusive, maybe is the mm-hmm. word that I'm looking for. Twinkle toes. My ninja, it's my ninja training. He's, he so shuffles around mind, on twinkle toes. And he's, he's light on his feet. Light on his feet. He's light on his feet. He dances when he walks. Can you name, in terms of total stolen bases, one through five, the top Cubs five stolen bases of the last 21 years? Oh, boy. I'm going to give this one to Jeremy first. Jeremy, take it away. Wow. Uh, top five of the last 21 years. Okay. I'm going to guess number one is, wow. I'm going to guess number one is Javi. I think that's just going to be my guess. I'm going to guess number two. I'm trying to just think. I want to guess number two I, I, is going to be like Juan Pierre for having just like a one monster season. I'm going to guess number three is like, I'm just trying to think of guys. I guess number three is like David DeJesus. I'm going to guess number four is uh, Dexter Fowler. And I'm going to guess number five is, oh, man, I don't, I'm just, got anybody who's like popping in my head. I'm, I'm guess number five is Eric Young. Cool. All right, Randall, All right. give me five. All right. I'm going to guess Juan Pierre is my number one. I'm going to guess Alfonso Soriano as my number two. I'm going to guess Dexter Fowler as my number three. And boy, after that, it gets real dicey. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think of like fast guys who have been on the scene. This has not been a speedy franchise really in the last 20 years. Um, boy, I don't know. I'm going to say Nafi Perez maybe just because that's a guy. He, that's a manager who probably encouraged his guys to run. And that's a guy who probably didn't know himself nearly well enough to not run so i'm going to say nafi perez and then sure i'll toss in a david de jesus there in the number five spot awesome this was a tough one um something to think about because i was thinking of this question and i was thinking okay, i have a name I... that just popped in my head and i kind of want to mention it uh okay. cory cory patterson you know i was waiting i gave you a little bit of a hint here i said pumpkin patty yeah the title patty cory patterson is on this list something that dawned on me though as i was thinking about the question before i looked up the answer is and kind of to your point, Randall, like teams don't run anymore. They don't steal bases like they used to. So when I was thinking about this list, I was kind of identifying the early to mid 2000s. Okay, who were the fast guys on those teams to round out the top five? So I got some names for you both here. Number one, with 100 stolen bases in 609 games, Ryan Terrio. Yeah, there's a name. Jeremy, you're on the money here. Number two, Corey Patterson. In 589 games, 86 stolen bases. Third with 85 stolen bases, Eric Young, EY. I think it was my five. It was uh, the fewest number of games for him, 302 games. 
to get to 85 stolen bases in the early 2000s. Javier Baez, fourth with 76, and rounding out the top five, Starlin Castro. Oh, yeah. 75 stolen bases in his tenure as a Cub. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. I imagine, what did Juan Pierre have? He probably had like 50 in one season. So that would... 58 and 158. So he's almost on one year. One year. Yeah. He, if he would have had two years, he'd be like leading like crazy. Juan Pierre is eighth overall in the standings, rounding out the top 10. So after Castro, five. Jeremy, you guessed this guy, Alfonso Soriano. No, Randall guessed Six with seven. Soriano. Yeah, that was oh, me. I'm give sorry. Me, yeah. Give me my Soriano credit. Yeah. I Neither of you one. gave this guy credit. Anthony Rizzo. 62 stolen bases. I was That's thinking seven. about Rizzo. Sorry, Rizzo. I thought about Rizzo just because he was around so long and he had like one year where he stole like 18 bases. Riz, Riz likes to run for better or for worse. I'm actually a little surprised Javi's not higher up on that list. I thought, you know, being around like eight years, probably stealing 20 bases a year for five of them, I would have thought he was higher. The guy number nine on the list, just 184 games as a Cub, 54 stolen bases, Tony Campana. Oh, yeah. And then Derek Lee rounds out the top and 10 with 51. Inside the park homer for Tony Campana. You know, looking at the top 30, which sort of populates on this page, just a couple other names that stand out. Kosuke, 15 on the Cubs list with 27 stolen bases. Chris Coglin, 19 stolen bases. That's 19th on the list. Number 22, you can't look at a top 30 without stopping at 22. Jock Jones at 22 for the Cubs with 15 stolen bases. And then number 30, Rafael Ortega, 12 stolen bases wow. this year to put him on that list for the Cubs. So I, I interesting names. I had Jock Jones in my head, but I just didn't think of it. But Rafael Ortega getting on that list in, what, like a half season? So uh, we'll see if he's going to move his way up next year. And I, we think that we'll see more of him next season as a Chicago Cubs. So a chance to climb up that list here. Although, as we said, stolen bases aren't what they used to be in Major League Baseball. Two more categories. These are on the pitching side. I think you guys are both going to have success with this one. Since 2000, top five strikeout leaders for Chicago Cubs pitchers. So that's the first question. Top five strikeout leaders of Cubs pitchers since 2000. Whoever wants to go first. All right. Uh, I'll say number one is Carlos Zambrano. I'll say number two is Kerry Wood. I'll say number three is John Lester. I'll say number four is, uh, let me think. I'll say number four is Jake Arrieta. And I'll say number five is Ryan Dempster. All right. I'll try and toss in a little different name here. I'm going to say Mark Pryor somewhere on this list. Maybe, maybe number four, maybe number five on this list for Mark Pryor. I think Kerry Wood is in there somewhere. I'm going to guess. Yeah. I'm going to guess John Lester is there maybe in the number two spot. And yeah, Dempster's probably on there, and I feel like there's some real obvious strikeout pitcher. Uh, yeah, Jake Arietta's probably on there too. So I don't know that what order I'd put them in, but Arietta, Dempster, Lester, Wood, and Pryor. All right, mixed bag here, gentlemen. Uh, Jeremy, you had this one right. Carlos Sombrano, the strikeout leader for the Cubs since 2000, 1,542 in about 1,800 innings as a Chicago Cub. That's 319 games. Sombrano played as a Cub. Kerry Wood second, 1,237 strikeouts. Ryan Dempster third, 1,070 strikeouts. Kyle Hendricks, number Ooh, four, 1,013. Wow. I thought that one would surprise you guys. And then number five, John Lester, 940 strikeouts. Jake came in six. Mark Pryor came in seven. And rounding out the top 10, Carlos Marmol, Jeff Smarja, 
and Ted Lilly. So those are your strikeout leaders as a Cubs since 2000. Pretty interesting numbers in there. Yeah, uh, I'm a little surprised that, uh, you know, obviously I had Hendricks in my head just for being around for a while, but I would have thought just Jake had more numbers. So I, I went with the guy that I thought was a better strikeout guy. Well, I was initially thinking for this last question here of going with innings pitched, and it basically mirrors the strikeout total. So I didn't think there'd be enough deviation in there. I was thinking, okay, what could add a wrinkle to it? Hit by pitch as Cubs pitchers since 2000. Oof. Can you name the top five pitchers who hit the most batters since 2000 as a Cub? Uh, I'm going to go Carlos Marmol on this <laughs> list. And I think he may be maybe in the number two or three spot. Um, I'm going to go. God, this is this is tough because in order to be on this list, you'd have to have a lot of innings to your name. So it's probably a guy who. So, you know, was in the rotation or pitched a lot of innings out of the bullpen and did a lot of good work, but also hit a bunch of guys. Um, so I'm going to say, I'm going to say Lester maybe on this list somewhere. Um, I'll put Dempster on this list as well. So I've got Dempster, Lester, Marmol. Um, I think Zimbrano, I think Zimbrano is on that list. I'm going to put him number one. So I'm going to put Zimbrano, Dempster, Zimbrano, Marmol, Dempster, Lester, and... Uh, I'm going to say Arietta in that number five spot. All right. Good stuff. Jeremy, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to go with Zen Brown number one again. I think I'm going to go with Kerry Wood number two. I think I go with Jeff Samarja number three. Um, I'm just, you know, and then I think, uh, let me, let me think a little bit. I think Dempster four. And I think I'm going to say like, Ted Lilly, number five. All right. Top five hit batters since 2000. Again, longevity is a big part of it. So Carlos Zambrano had by far the most innings of anybody in that time. 92 hit batters in 1,800 plus innings. Kerry Wood second with 82 hit batters and about 700 fewer innings than Big Z. Uh, Kyle Hendricks third, Oof. 54 hit batters. Carlos Marmel out of the bullpen Randall. here with 49 hit batters, and then Ryan Dempster rounds out the top five with 39. To complete the top 10 here, Jake Arrieta, Matt Clement, Mark Pryor, John Lester, and Pedro Strope with Jeff Samarja breathing down the neck at number 11. So Pedro's, kind of what we expected. I Pedro think. Strope sneaking onto one of these lists right there in the number 10 spot for hit batsmen. So just a, a bit looking back on time here in the last 21 years or so, Top five Cubs offensive war leaders, top five stolen base leaders, top five strikeouts, and top five hit by pitch from Cubs pitchers. We got lots more Cubs trivia, random Cubs trivia coming up in future episodes. Nice job, though. Collectively, both of you were pretty much on the money with all those answers, and we got a chance to talk about Corey Patterson. And anytime we get to do that, I'm ready to talk CPAT. Yeah, definitely just, talk CPAT. Just don't talk his brother EPAT, who of course was late to the ballpark, late to the team a couple times. Did not uh, did not reflect well on him as a ball player. I was kind of surprised a little bit that Kyle Farnsworth's name kept, never came up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, he struck out a lot of guys. He hit a lot of guys. Yeah, and he had some innings uh, in right. relief. And he started also as a starter actually, in the '90s, though. Cub. Yeah. I don't know if he ever started in the two thousand. Might be starting the year two thousand. He hit a lot of batters, and he also hit Paul Wilson. He hit some pitchers. Well, he also kicked a fan. And he kicked a fan and messed up his foot. And uh, there goes the 2002 Chicago Cubs, among other issues that that team had. But he was a big part of 01, a team we celebrated Ooh. the last couple months here. Well, speaking of the 2002, wasn't there someone that like fell asleep in the clubhouse that Bruce Kim had a 
chew out. I feel like that sounds vaguely familiar to me. That does sound familiar. I can't I've remember what guesses. I kind of think like it was Farnsworth, <laughs> but I don't know if it was. Um, yeah. Well, Randall's going to dig into that a little bit. Um, one thing that we will return next week, and we're looking forward to this, Randall's old box scores. He's going to dig up some old box scores. He's going to share them with us. We are going to have some fun with that. We've got one other note that we want to share on the baseball front. Talk a little bit of Bears, talk a little bit of Bulls, and bring this thing home. Randall, do you got any lead on that before we segue here into minor league baseball? Yeah, the one article the one article I found dated August 16th, 2002, is uh, unnamed Cub. So this article it calls it Unidentified Sleeping Cub. It's a USC, the Unidentified Sleeping Cub. It does not specifically name the Cub. And uh, yeah, Kyle Farnsworth, I think, is the accused player here, but I can't find anything that definitively says it was him. I I would believe it. Yep. (laughs) Easy to believe. Easy to believe. Those pitchers on the days that they're not getting into the ballgame, Lord knows what they're up to, what they're doing in the clubhouse. That's right. I mean, Lee Smith would nap and he would get into the ballgame. They say he'd pass out the first eight innings, wake him up, or first seven innings, wake him up to warm up in the eighth, and you're coming out in the ninth. He's ready to go. Yeah. Finish out some ball games. <laughs> well, some interesting news here on the minor league baseball front. One of the things that's been talked about, we've shared our thoughts on it on the show as well, is the treatment and compensation of minor, uh, minor league players. Randall, some news here indicating that housing may be something that's now taken care of for minor league players. What's the latest on that? Well, Ronan, earlier this week, uh, Jeff Passan of ESPN and a number of other writers from The Athletic, uh, all reporting at the same time, that Major League Baseball will announce at some point prior to the 2022 season that it will require all of its teams to provide housing for Major League players beginning in the 2022 season. It seems like there's a lot of details up in the air here, uh, whether the teams will provide the housing themselves or whether they will provide a financial stipend for the housing. And there's some wiggle room here because apparently... Uh, it is certain minor league players. So I don't know how they're going to parse that out, whether they're going to provide housing at the lower levels and double A AA and triple A are going to be on their own. Um, and again, how they're going to provide the housing. So I'm, I'm a little skeptical here because that certain leaves a lot of room for a lot of room for goodness knows what to worm its way in there. But this is a positive additional step uh, within the Cubs organization. Uh, in 2020, when Adbert Alzali was at the alternate site, he very vocally and publicly protested some of the living conditions where they were housed in what was apparently a nice apartment complex, but the players had to provide their own bedding, their own television, their own just about everything. And that, of course, costs a lot of money. Um, and we know that minor league players are criminally underpaid. Um, a lot of them live below the poverty line during the season. A lot of them are living five or six guys in a, a two-bedroom apartment, which is just inhumane. This past season, stories about players sleeping in their cars because they just couldn't afford the hotels. So there's a lot of work to be done on the minor league advocacy, ad, advocacy front. A lot of major leaguers who are wearing uh, bracelets and bringing the, the issue to the forefront on their own. This is not a solution. This is at best a band-aid, but this is a good first step to making sure that the minor leaguers are paid and compensated properly. Making sure that they have somewhere comfortable to live is a good first step. And I don't want to go too long here, but the last point I want to make, why is it taking so long to do this? If, if the point of the minor leagues is player development, isn't part of player development, making sure your players have a comfortable, safe, and not crowded place to sleep and recuperate as they're in between bus rides and minor league games. I don't know how it's taken this long, but it's a good first step. I know how it's taken this long. Well, yeah, we all <laughs> know how it's, there's playoff games. At we, all know, we all know how it's taken this long, I, I think but it's you, a, 
you'd oh. think it would be you'd think it would be obvious if you want your minor leaguers to develop better, make sure that they're comfortable and safe and cared for. I think it's a pretty big deal. I I, I think it's a pretty major step um, for the clubs to move into the front of either providing housing or providing stipends for uh, the players to you know find to find their own housing. But uh, for the clubs to be you know paying for that, I think that's a pretty big deal. Now, obviously, the clubs the clubs can afford it. And it's not going to put too much of a hit to their bottom line, really. But I do think it's a huge deal for those players. It's a huge deal for, you know, Major League Baseball moving forward. Um, you know, I, I don't know if they'll end up getting things like TVs and betting and linen for anywhere. I mean, you know, I, I don't know if that that especially if they're just being provided a stipend. I, I can't imagine that will also be included. Um, but I think for, you know, for a lot of teams probably will, if they have the choice, will prefer to uh purchase their own housing and that it's a lot that would make it a lot easier for them because if they have to shovel players in and out it's a lot easier for them to just you know if they have a place for someone to stay to come in and move in and out and probably wouldn't call and a lot of these places doesn't really cost that much you know um some of them obviously cost way more than others you know uh you know nashville is probably going to cost a lot more than you know where the smokies are playing in tennessee right so uh but uh, I, I think it's a pretty major step. Obviously, as you mentioned, there are other steps um, in terms of, you know, pay. But I, I think it's a pretty big deal. And when it comes to certain players, to me, I don't know. That could just possibly be like some sort of means testing, like whether or not players that have major league service time would also get that, you know, as well, because they're making a lot more. So or whether players that have certain bonuses, I don't know. But that that could be kind of how I read that. Sure. And there's, there's wiggle room. There's wiggle room. It could, it could just be a little bit of means testing. Um, but I don't know that the league has that benefit of the doubt. And I agree with you, Jeremy, it is a major step. And the fact that it is still only a small step speaks to the breadth and the depth of the issue. Well, I taking, think it's like a huge step. I don't think it's it a small is. step. <laughs> it is a huge step. And the fact that it's still only part of the problem shows you how big the total problem is. Uh, so as you said, it, it makes more sense for the teams a lot of the time if you have the market to support it, to just kind of rent out a block of apartments, South Bend Cubs have uh, apartments right beyond center field. Um, You know, it's real easy for your players to get to the ballpark, get to work that day. If they just have to walk in from the center field concourse. So this is a big step and there's still so much further to go, which tells you how big the problem is that a step this big is still only part of it. Teams have a lot of options for how they can do this. They can work out partnerships with apartment complexes where they give advertising to that complex in exchange for housing at least a portion of the players or the coaching staff or however you're going to divvy that up. They could build dorms at a lot of these sites that could easily house 20 or 30 baseball players at a time. It could be a combination of that. You could also build structures at these ballparks and add additional housing. Randall, you're talking about South Bend. There's apartments across the street. Elsewhere in the Midwest League, places like Lansing, they've got apartments in center field that they rent out to people in Lansing, which has a more vibrant downtown than it had 10, 15, 20 years ago. So these teams can get very creative. It isn't going to break the bank, and they can take care of these players. And I think, Randall, you touch on a really good point. Everybody thinks about the top prospects in the minor leagues, and obviously you want to make sure that they're getting the health what they need, the nutrition that they need, but they're competing against players who also need to be performing at an optimal level, even if they aren't as talented. So the thing that needs to be prioritized for minor league players, other than just extra compensation, is wellness and recovery, nutrition. These players eat like crap. 
They get small per diems when they're on the road. They're eating McDonald's. They're eating Wendy's. That is not how a professional athlete sustains their body. And then the third thing is mental health. You've got to provide for those athletes in all three of those areas, and the money is there in all three of those areas. This is a step in the right direction. Ronan, you brought up a great point about nutrition. One of my favorite uh, traditions in the minor leagues is that if you have a rehabbing major league player, he ponies up and he buys a real nice spread for that clubhouse. That's a great tradition, but I, I often forget the fact that's probably the best meal that minor league clubhouse is going to have for quite a while. Dexter Fowler rehabbing at South Bend when he was coming back from his hamstring injury in 2016, he buys a real nice steakhouse spread for that whole clubhouse. And I noted when there were pictures from that clubhouse that they specifically told the players how to construct a balanced plate. You get your protein, you get your vegetable, you get your grain in there. And again, that's probably the most nutritious meal that those players are going to have all week, all month, maybe even all season. It shouldn't take a rehabbing major league player to come down there and drop a thousand at the local yeah. Ruth's Chris Steakhouse for these players to get a properly balanced meal. And it's not that expensive for the team in bulk over the course of a season to take care of these athletes and take care of the investment that they've got in these players. Because again, it's not just about making sure that your star top prospect is eating well, but his catcher is. That the other players on the team, the defense behind him, they need to be getting rest. They need to have access to weights. They need to make a living wage and they need to be eating better. PB&J sandwiches, McDonald's, it's inexcusable for a 21-year-old professional athlete to be eating and living that way in 2021. No, I, I agree with you on that. Uh, I, yeah, I obviously think it's worth it for, as an investment, you know, for the teams to spend more on their talent and their players that they have in their organization. I think it's, it, you know, I would think that's an advantage that any team would want, like to be known as the team that takes care of your players, because that would, to me, that would, that would speak to being an advantage to be able to acquire more talent. Um, so I think it's worth it to, to do those things. I think, you know, it, it's in the team's best interest to do those things. Uh, but to me, I, I like I'm not going to poo poo progress. I think this is a major step. I think it's, you know, is it everything that people want? Obviously not. But like, you know, not a lot of places even do provide housing for, you know, their employees. So I think that's kind of a big deal. And, you know, I, it is fortunate for the players to be or they should. I mean, Based on, you know, the fact that, you know, they're always moving around. It's very difficult, obviously, live to be a minor league baseball player. So I do believe it should be something that should be provided for them, because especially for guys that, like, don't even speak English or live in this country normally, um, that that's a difficult thing for them to be able to do. Um, and I think you would want to be the club that's known for doing that. Um, but, you know, it's, you know, there's obviously more room to grow and to do things. But I think this is kind of a major deal. Well, minor league life is tough. It is not easy to live that way, to know that an injury, a bad month can be the end of your dream. Just like that, it ends. It happens all of the time, all summer. Don't lose sight of the fact that Major League Baseball has reduced the number of minor league teams yep. they have. They've reduced the number of professional athletes within their organization. So they are saving money. It's time for them to pony up and take care of the athletes that are in there. It is a drop in the bucket to do basic things like providing decent food and some livable housing options for these professional athletes. And at least pressure is out there now. This is out in the public. Fans care about it. Major league players that have survived that and now are being taken care of financially. Guys like Jason Hayward are speaking up and leveraging their, here's a phrase, Randall, leveraging their privilege 
as major league athletes to put the spotlight on this and to support some of these initiatives. So I think it's coming and we look forward to it. Minor league baseball is a wonderful thing we have here in the United States, whether you're in cities like Charlotte or Nashville, or you're in the smaller cities all across the country, it is a source of pride. There are great ballparks and wonderful traditions that exist. Let's take care of these athletes as well. And the major leaguers for that matter. All right. We got two quick segments. We're going to go through this rapidly here as we're running out of time. Well, the bears stink again. And Randall, Aaron Rodgers owns you. He's owned you his whole life. And he reminded us of the fact that as Bears fans, he and the Green Bay Packers continue to beat up the Bears. From hell's black heart, I stab (laughs) at thee. You will go down someday, Rodgers, and I hope I'm there to see it. Arrogant prick. Bears started hot. They had an early lead. Things were going well. A penalty, a taunting penalty. Things unraveled, and it was all Green Bay from about the second quarter on, Jeremy. It was all Green Bay from about that point that I'm not usually a hate on the rest, but I had some issues in that game Uh, from the point that uh, Justin Fields, I, my opinion, sitting in there, I was there. I was yelling it just like everybody else was yelling it. Free play, man. I, I thought that was a free play and Justin threw the ball up and it got picked off. And that pretty much was kind of the turnaround. And and I couldn't believe the refs didn't call that. Didn't see it. Um, You know, I, I thought it was ridiculous and, um, you know, Justin, he's had his struggles. Uh, you know, I'm not going to go out here and say that, you know, you know, you should be worried, but I, I, I would like to see a little bit more from Justin Fields. I mean, he's had a, a few struggles uh, now, you know, I didn't expect him to light the world on fire, but I was, I was hoping for a little bit more than what we've seen so far. So it, it is a little, not worrisome, but I would like to see him, you know, actually come out one week and, and put up a little bit uh, more, but uh yeah, that was tough. Uh, Aaron yeah. Rodgers, he owns us. I guess he always will own us, apparently, except unless Shane McClellan, McClellan can jump on his back a little bit, then we can get him a little bit. But, uh, yeah, that was not a fun game overall. Do you know what Aaron Rodgers doesn't own is photos of a family who loves him? Just bringing out the harshness, man. Well, you know what? You know what? He's I got think Shailene I'm... Woodley, though, now. Yeah, until until she gets tired of him, too, just like uh, Danica Patrick did. Uh Apparently, only one team is allowed to call timeouts now. The Bears no don't have that privilege anymore. Time, you know, quarterback very clearly signaling timeout, timeout. No, no, not allowed. Delay a game penalty. Horribly officiated game. Uh, yeah, I, I suppose I could say more about how the Bears lost that game on the field, but it's more fun to rip on the refs, and it's more fun to imagine scenarios where Rodgers is planted into the ground and a nice little arrogant tree can grow. I, I, I saw God. Tom Brady. Whoa, I saw Tom Brady talking about today. He 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 was kind of having some fun with it, talking about how Aaron Rodgers now owns Soldier Field, which apparently I, I guess is okay if the Bears are going to move to Arlington Heights, he can own Soldier Field as much as he wants. Leave Rodgers with the bill for an empty Soldier Field while you move to you move to McCaskey land out there in Arlington Heights. But he, Tom Brady seemed like he was kind of all, he was into it, that Aaron Rodgers, and they were asking him what, what teams he owns, you know, the Bills, the Jets, and he's like, no, nah, I'm good. I don't need anything from those teams. I don't care about them. So it shows that Aaron Rodgers does still care about the Bears. And you know what? For all that we're force fed about Aaron Rodgers being one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, he only got one ring. He only got well, one ring. One more than any great... Bears quarterback has. Yeah. In the last well, you know years. what? You know what? We're not, here. we're not here to, to talk down the Bears. We're, we're not here. We're not here to talk down the Bears. I'm, I'm not going to encourage anybody for only winning one. I'm envious every time <laughs> yeah. I watch Green Bay play going, God damn, why can't that be my team yeah, just exactly. for once? I thought once Favre hung it up, it's like, okay. We got the one Hall of Fame quarterback. Now they're going to be bad for a while. Oh, they just go right into another Hall of Fame quarterback. And you know there's another one churning, brewing somewhere up there in the cheese, Randall. The yeah, next Jordan Love Hall of Fame quarterback. Yeah, they're growing him in a vat somewhere. They tell you it's cheese. 
and it, it looks like like yellow sludge. But yeah, no, no, we are we are owed decades of quarterback ineptitude from the Green Bay Packers. And I hope I'm alive to see the, all those decades someday. I hope you are, too. Well, the Bears lose. They drop to three and three. The alternate schedule puts them back on the road this weekend. And it could get a lot worse. They're going to the defending Super Bowl champs, Tom Brady, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who are rolling here at five and one. The line, nearly two touchdowns. The Bears are behind going into this ballgame. So Vegas not thinking the Bears are going to be optimistic. Jeremy, we got a miracle in Tampa Bay or are the Bears coming home under 500? Uh, well, you know, I'm going to, unfortunately, I think Tampa Buccaneers are going to pull this one out. I don't think Tom Brady is going to forget how many downs there are this year. Uh, you know, I, I just, I think Tampa's got it. Randall. Yeah. I, this is going to be a real tough game to win on the road. I don't think the defense is up to stopping Tom Brady and that set of offensive weapons he has. And yeah, I don't think this coaching staff is ever really going to get Justin Fields to where he needs to be. I think they come back under 500. I'm afraid. I'm with you. This is the first time this year I'm predicting a loss for the Chicago Bears. I've been optimistic up to this point. I think it's going to be tough in Tampa Bay, but they're coming home Halloween Sunday with the San Francisco 49ers, and they'll get back in the win column then. But we'll have a chance to talk about that. One more thing here. Really quick, the NBA season tipping off this week. Randall pulled the stat. How about this, Bulls fans? For the first time since March of 2017, the Chicago Bulls are over 500. 1 and 0. Wow. They beat Detroit on the road today. It was Detroit, right? The, the Pistons? Yeah. Yes, in yeah. Detroit. Well, um, in 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 wherever it is for what 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 is suburb it Little is Little Caesars? No, I think they're in Detroit now. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's Caesars. right. That's right. They're at the the arena that they share with the Red Wings. They okay, yeah, in Auburn Hills, Hills, the Palace. Auburn Hills, that's what I was thinking of. Pontiac Silverdome. Opening night win for the Chicago Bulls in five years since 2016. Good year for the Cubs. Randall, NBA is not really in my circle. I see things. I'll catch a couple playoff games every now and then. Something I've picked up on, though, there's a buzz around this Bulls team. There's some excitement around this team. I think, and who, what, what do I know about the NBA? I got a feeling this team is playoff bound. Am I on the right track here that this is at least the best Bulls team we've seen in quite some time? Well, the, the playoff field in the NBA is so wide. Eight teams from each conference make it. They could very well be playoff bound. You know, I know not a whole lot more than you do. I maybe pay attention a little closer than you do, but I don't know a whole lot more than you do. There, there's definitely an excitement about this team right now that you've got good players on this team. You've got guys who fill a lot of different roles. Team defense has improved dramatically. You've got a competent head coach. You've got a front office who very clearly has a plan here. There, there is a buzz around this team. And I think if the Blackhawks continue to struggle and there's a very good chance that they will. And I think if the bears continue to be so, so there is a market for a, a talented winter team to come in and capture the attention of this city. And I think the Bulls may just be that. It is only the one game. I'm, I'm prepared to be wrong. I'm prepared to be hurt. But this could be, at the very least, a fun team to watch. And after the last few years where you had teams that really were not fun to watch, that, that's it's a very low bar. But I think it's a bar that we're happy to potentially exceed this winter. Well, I, I tuned in today just – you know, just to see my boy, I, I saw Io get some fast break points. He scored four straight. He even took four straight shots. You know, he had seven points, which was the difference in the game. Uh, so Io was making a big contribution, and I, I was happy to see it. So that's really the only reason I tuned in. Um, I, I did actually want to see the Bulls, the New Look Bulls, on opening night, but uh, I'm also I'm a little skeptical of this team. I I think that they have a lot of interesting pieces, but a lot of pieces that demand the ball. Um, not a 
they still, I, I still don't think they're a great defensive team. I mean, DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, um, but I'm not a big NBA guy. So what do I know? But uh, I'll tune in to see IO every once in a while when he he's able to show off what he can do. And, and Jeremy, I pulled these numbers just for you from my timeline earlier. IO Dosumu. I didn't know it was pronounced Dosumu until well, you, a couple of weeks ago. You weren't watching enough Illini basketball, Randall. Well, Come boy, I, you know, can you ever really watch enough Illini basketball? No, but IO, do, IO Dosumu's NBA debut tonight. He plays 11 minutes, scores seven points, as you said, goes three of eight from the field, two rebounds, one block, and he was a plus seven plus minus. So a uh, nice little NBA Difference debut. in the game. Nice little NBA debut for former Illini star Ayo Dosumu. I'm going to watch a little bit of Bulls basketball from time to for time Io. this year. No, not for Ayo. Uh, <laughs> for just Io. to see uh, what this team looks like. There's a lot of excitement here in Denver with the Nuggets. They've had a very competitive team the last couple of years. I'll have to see. I think the Bulls come to Denver twice a year, if I'm understanding the schedule correctly. And I'll have to do one of those over at Ball Arena. Make it to the ball. Um, Get in there. I'm going to an abs game. Are you sure you don't want to do two balls this year? year? Just oh, one? maybe so. I'm going to the abs, and when the Bulls are in town, whenever that is, or whenever well, the, the Bulls they play, yeah. I am certainly going to make a point to try to get to one of those. I've not been to an NBA game in a decade. It was wow. a game Randall and I were at in Milwaukee in the D Rose era. But NBA has changed a lot in the last ten years. It'd be fun we to were kind of see. we were in Milwaukee. We we're also above Milwaukee by a couple by a couple miles. <laughs> some of us, at least. Some of us. <laughs> some of us were higher up than others. Rona, before we wrap it up tonight, uh, it sounds like this Braves Dodgers game is pretty much in the bag. The Braves had themselves a nice offensive inning in the top of the ninth. Four more runs. They lead nine to two right now with already one out in the bottom of the ninth. So it looks like the series is headed to a three, one lead in favor of the Atlanta Braves. As long as they don't go the way of a uh, similarly named franchise from a, uh, a number of years back. Uh, the Golden State which, Warriors. Yep. That's who I'm going for, Jeremy. Thank you. As long as they don't go that route, uh, they should be on good path to head to the World Series. Similarly named. Similarly well, here's some named. Good news. Tomorrow's game five. This is Thursday night, 6 p.m. Mountain. So most people are going to get to see tomorrow night's baseball game between the, only the, game on. and the Dodgers. And it is the only game in Major League Baseball tomorrow. Well, that's all we've got today. We will be back next week with episode number 42. We'll see what else is happening with the Cubs. We'll take a visit out to Arizona with the Farm League. Randall's flagging me down. Bring us home, Randall. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Give us your opinions of this episode and any other episode at BTYL podcast on the good old Twitter. Give us a follow. Let us know what you think of the episode or any other thoughts you might have. Especially if they're about Randall. We want those. We need those. We crave those. We want to know what you think. Thanks for joining us. Go Cubs. We'll see you next week.